0: From the Zimmerman Symphony Center in Canton, Ohio, this is Orchestrating Change. I'm Matthew Jenkins Yaroshevitz, Associate Conductor of the Canton Symphony Orchestra.
1: And I'm Rachel Hegemeyer, Manager of Education and Community Engagement.
0: Welcome to our podcast, and thank you for joining us.
1: This podcast will navigate the issues that exist in the field of classical music and the world at large. We invite you to listen with open ears as our guests share their experience as underrepresented professionals in the music industry.
0: Our guest today is Ron Ponder a man of many talents who has dedicated his life and career to civic and community engagement here in Canton. He has served as Deputy Mayor of Canton, President of the Stark County NAACP, and a board member of the Salvation Army. He was the host of the talk show Points to Ponder, which aired on WHBC Radio for 10 years. He is currently the CEO of Ponder Systems Media, which produces television programs for PBS affiliates and is a consultant to the Pro Football Hall of Fame and Village Construction Project. Ron Ponder, welcome to Orchestrating Change. Well, thank you. Thank you for the invitation to be here.
1: I'm very excited to speak with you today. Um, And you have done so much with your career, um, and it might seem like you're a little bit of a strange guest to have on a podcast that's hosted by an orchestra, but I wonder if you could just share, we talked a little bit about your career, but if you could share a little bit with us about your career and what you have done and kind of why you've gotten into the work that you've, all these different projects that you've done throughout your life.
2: Well, it's interesting, uh, because there never wasn't an an intention on my part to do any of this, uh, (laughs) things just kind of fell into my lap and continue to do so. And I just kind of follow the signal that I receive spiritually, I might add, uh, to do things. Mm. And that's what I do.
1: <laughs> so
2: <laughs>
1: you have definitely been a voice in the community and you a lot of your work has been surrounding about advocacy. Um, so at what point did you realize that your community specifically here in Canton needed someone to be a voice of organization and advocacy for um, those who maybe were underrepresented or minorities within the community who just needed to have someone be a voice for them?
2: Yeah. Well, I think that uh, every uh, community and sub-community needs voice uh, for a lot of reasons. And oftentimes uh, a voice will evolve to the point where that is the voice or one of the voices. And uh, I never sought out to be a voice for any community, the African-American or, or any other community. It's just that, you know, back to the point I made about being uh, directed and inspired uh, to do something is what I do. Uh, it's like when I first, uh, well, when I was NAACP president, uh, there was a a need for uh, more minorities and females in the safety forces. I think mm. there was two in the police department, and maybe one in the fire department. Wow. And that really just pissed me off. <laughs> and and uh, so as, as the NAACP president, I, I decided that the best way for me in that position to try to correct that is to take it through federal court. Uh, I didn't want the city to pass a, a weak ordinance or the county to say anything. I wanted federal court to make a ruling on what, on, on changing that system. Uh, which is what we did. Uh, we took them to, to federal court, sued them for $6 million, uh, and we said, you know, change your system of hiring, and, and uh, we don't want $6 million. I, we want the corrective action, uh, which is what happened. Uh, the city and, and the NAACP came to a, what I think is a monumental uh, decision to uh, enact a process for minorities and females to be brought into the police department. Oh. And, and that that did a lot because not only did it show the minority community that uh, there are remedies at, at their disposal to actually correct some things, uh, but it also created uh, an economic strata of African Americans making really good money as a firefighter, paramedic. Uh, and then they were able to to help buy houses and cars mm. and send their kids to to good colleges, so it had a far-reaching impact uh, on, uh, on the community. Wow,
3: yeah.
0: So how old were you, would you say, when you, let's say when you had your first experience of identifying a problem and you yourself taking the initiative to enact meaningful change, what was your first experience with something like this?
2: Uh, that's a good question because I've always been that way.
3: Mm.
2: Uh, Even growing up as a child, uh, if I wanted to do something, uh, I would, within reason, I would try to do it. And if anybody wanted to play with me and do what I wanted to do or work with me and do what I wanted to do, they're welcome to come along. Uh, But I really didn't necessarily seek them out to to do that. Uh, and, And the same with what I do now, a lot of the things that I do or voluntary, and um, uh, I do them uh, because the need is there,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and and I have a, an ability, good or bad, to maybe impact that need. and And, and if that's the 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 scenario, uh, how can you not apply what little secret sauce you may have that mm-hmm. could take it over the top? I, I think you're a selfish person uh, if you don't try to do that.
1: Oh. Um, what would you say? I mean, I think that it takes a lot of, cur- for some people, uh, it takes a lot of courage to step out and be the one to decide to make a change or to be a voice. Um, and some people are afraid to do, um, something outside of the, n- the norm or to go against the status quo. So what would you say to people who, who want to, want to make change? They're, they're encouraged to do stuff, but they have, a little bit of fear when it comes to stepping outside of their comfort zone?
2: Well, it, it depends on where that fear originates from. Uh, if it's because they work for somebody in the system and they're afraid to speak out against the system that it might impact their jobs, then they may be reluctant to say anything. Uh, if you are have received personal threats for you and your family, that may cause uh, fear as well. So I think it's always a personal decision that each individual has to make where they're comfortable in drawing that line. Um, and and some of us, uh, and I admit that I'm one of them, sometimes we get so emotionally pissed off uh, that we tend to forget forget where that line is, mm. uh, and we have a tendency to overstep it at times. But, you know, that's a natural situation.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your current work with the Hall of Fame Village here in Canton. We are currently at our home at the Zimmerman Symphony Center, which is literally, we we can look out the window right now and see Hall of Fame Stadium and beyond it, the construction project. You are consulting for this project. Tell us a little bit about the work you're doing with them.
2: Well, it's kind of interesting, because I have a, a diversified client base of people that I consult with, uh, not just with the Hall of Fame Village, but with individuals and, and other companies. And most of it is, is uh, confidential. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, like my writing is sometimes ghost writing for people. Mm. Uh, but with the, the Hall of Fame Village is in its second phase of construction. In the first phase, which included construction of the the stadium and and some other things, uh, there was a a time crunch. They wanted to get it done for the for the uh, NFL game, uh, and there was a lot of issues that really made them rush. Uh, and a lot of bases were not touched.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, a lot of minority contractors felt that they were left out of the out of the mix. Uh, it was just. You know they got the project done, but there was a lot of issues that it created. So uh, phase two comes along. Now keep in mind the Pro Football Hall of Fame is a separate entity than the mm-hmm. Hall of Fame Village and Resort. Right. They're partners, but they're still separate entities. So uh, uh, they separate, and Michael Crawford is the CEO of the Hall of Fame Village, uh, and so. Uh, he and Anne Gryfus came to me, Anne is a senior vice president there, and said, look, we see what all we, you know, some mistakes that w- that might have occurred in phase one, especially with the minority contractors and the minority community in general. Mm-hmm. And they said, we want to avoid that. And we, we would like for you to help us avoid that. So we had a long conversation. I asked them, why do they think they had that, those issues to begin with? Uh, what do they want to do about it? Where do they see the, the issue of diversification, uh, not just in terms of, of racial diversification, but gender diversification and, and the whole shot? And I was just really impressed with the answers that I got from Michael Crawford uh, and Anne. And, uh, and it, the more I talked to him, the more I realized that the issue, if I were to consult with them, would not be to convince them to do better or to do right by by minorities and females but to help them do what they know is right I don't have to convince them what's right or what's wrong like back in the olden days <laughs> uh, you know uh, but but it's it's not a definitely easy task to manifest that uh, to uh, to their standards mm. so that's what they asked me to help them do uh, and so i i've been doing that i've been working very closely with uh, the Stark County Minority Business Association, right, yeah. which is a really a cool organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got a lot of work to do, but they've also got a lot of uh, a lot of support. Uh, and uh, so at first I, I, I made a, I brought the village and the project and Michael Crawford and Ann a lot closer to that organization and consequently to minority contractors. Mm and they started working closer together in fact there's a there's a a seminar on the 24th where there's going to be an update that michael crawford is going to give to the minority business association um so so uh i'm not pleased with the amount of minority contractors that's actually able to take take advantage of the opportunities although in the last phase in this current phase already 27 percent of the construction has been going to minority companies mm. not necessarily minority contract contractors in stark county okay which is really what i want right but 27 percent overall mm. so and we had a conference call this week where i said you know we got to deal with this uh, uh, but the job is actually communicating bringing people together and being a catalyst right. uh, and giving people a, a, a comfortable, a comfortable feeling in doing what they know was right, uh, and we had a conference call this week with, with uh, representatives of of Mike, and all of the labor unions. Uh, Dave Curvin, the, the director of uh, the uh, CEO of uh, the building trades, uh, pulled it together, and I was just really pleased at what people were saying. You had union. People talking about how they're part of the team with management and how they're going to do this and 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 whatnot. They've even signed a, a, a what they call a PLA, which is a project labor agreement that specifies all of this in writing. Uh, and and so the the uh, the cooperation and attitude of the unions and management and everybody else in the process is just great. Mm. It, it is really great. Everybody wants to do the right. Thing, not just by minorities and females, but overall. Mm-hmm. So the, the the issue is, if it's ever an issue, is how do you bring those two together? Mm-hmm. How everybody's got the right idea. Now how do you orchestrate pun intended? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, now now ponder on that. <laughs> it,
1: it sounds like your your voice has has very much directly impacted the the direction of this process, and the way that this um, entire, you know, phase two of the production of the Hall of Fame village has rolled out. So looking into the future a little bit, you know, phase three, and you know once it's complete, how do you see um, the changes that you're making, and hopefully will continue to make having more Stark County minority businesses involved? How do you think that's going to impact and benefit specifically Canton communities of color?
2: well i hope a whole lot mm. uh, just like when uh, there was a establishment of a new uh, strata economic strata with minorities getting into the safety forces the same thing here uh, some of the mom and pop um, construction companies are uh, have established through the minority business association a mentorship to be mentored by the larger contractors mm. and there's relationships that are being developed there uh, and growing there and opportunities growing there as well. So I see that happening, but also not just from a construction point of view, uh, as we go forward, there's other opportunities with the with the resort. There's uh you know, they own the hotel, the double tree downtown. Uh, there's so many different opportunities and I'm just now understanding all of them. Uh, and I'm getting inquiries all the time from, from uh, minorities, minorities and, and others from around the country asking about the potential opportunities and how how can they uh, pitch their opportunities. Mm-hmm. And the Hall of Fame Village <coughs> is eager to hear new ideas uh, and new opportunities. So once again, the, the framework is there. Uh, all we have to do is to be adept enough to uh, orchestrate the, the framework. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not an easy task is, as we all know, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of issues there that still have to be dealt with.
3: Yeah, for sure.
0: So one of the things that we have thought a lot about, especially as we enter season two of our podcast is we see all the time leaders at various levels making promises big and small to minority communities. We hear a lot of promises but so often the promises end up going unfulfilled or in the very least under-fulfilled and this can do a great deal of damage as far as trust is concerned. So tell us a little bit about that and your experience of when a promise goes unfulfilled how it affects the community and as well on a positive side a promise that has been fulfilled and how it has positively impacted the community.
2: Well, I think that uh, once again, every community is faced with the same issue of leaders and politicians who don't speak straight, who are not there for for the benefit of the of the voter. Uh, so it's not just the African American community. I I think well, I've seen both both politicians, black and white. Male and female uh, are some are good, some are bad, uh, but they're like the um, used to be. They mirrored the uh, the the composition of of society. You know, there's a certain amount of doctors who are bad. There's a certain percentage of teachers you might consider bad. There's a certain amount in every group that are gonna be on the on the on the bad side. And the same with politicians. But once again, with the, with the African Americans, uh, it's more detrimental to them as a community than other, other communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been, I've been at, at the forefront of. I just don't like things that I just don't like bad people, <laughs> especially, <laughs> especially if they're an elected official. Uh, you know, uh, they're they're there for a reason. Uh, but I I blame. The voter for them being there, and uh, I, I've often said that there's two categories of people that just tee me off uh, because of they're ignorance. It's uh, drivers and voters. <laughs> there's always a bad driver in my way when I'm in a hurry, uh, and and we wouldn't have so many political problems if people would pay more attention to what they were doing when they would go to the ballot box. Mm. You know, I, I know that there's. Other issues these days, like people uh, gather their news in a segmented way. They're going to go to where they're going to get their their political beliefs reinforced, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's causing more uh, dissension. And, and And I use the word dissension because uh, it's 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 bad, uh, mm-hmm. and it's getting worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not just the African American community, although I could cite some really good examples. Of, of who that might be, especially these days uh, uh, it's everywhere.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: but I again I trace back the cause to the typical voter
1: right I th- Well I, I, the way you, you talk about this and bringing up promise and follow through, the orchestral community has had a lot of promise to diversify, promise to do all these different things um, and the, and it's never really had that follow through last season we talked with eric gould who told us a story and eric said that you know we were having this discussion about um uh, diversity on the stage uh, with the music that we play and eric was like i was at a panel in 1987 talking about this exact same topic and here i am again in 2021 having the same conversation and so especially in the orchestral community it seems that we go through periods of everyone caring about something and wanting to make this change and then it kind of falls by the wayside and then 10 years later something happens and everyone suddenly cares again uh so uh, maybe this is slightly off topic but how do how do you think we can sustain the work sustain uh pushing for more diversity with he, and here you know here at the symphony but uh, you've been doing this your whole life so how do you think we can at the symphony keep up this work and just keep sustaining the uh, fervency around the need for this.
2: Is that what you want to
1: do? Yes, I, I, I do.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> is, that
2: what, is that what the board wants to do?
0: I would say the president of the board is 100% on board with this. And she is working very hard to talk to the rest of the board about the importance of doing this not only for this moment but for for the rest of of our existence ideally going forward Mm -hmm. and it's not an easy sell of course from up front especially but what excites me is that I have used this time during the coronavirus pandemic when there aren't concerts all the time and when I don't have music that I have to learn every other week for a new concert. I've used this time to expose myself to a lot of music by women composers and by composers of color. And the music I have discovered, when the when the current audience of Canton hears this music, I truly believe they're going to think to themselves, I can't believe I've gone my whole life without knowing this music. They are going to love it. They're going to love what we found. And they won't be able to imagine the repertoire without it. That's certainly how I feel. And I really believe it. It's music that speaks to everybody, you know, in the way that music can.
1: And the the this, the part of, you know, my job as, you know, managing all of our education, and community engagement efforts, uh, how do, you know, this, we doing this, It's easy for us, an easy solution for us to do is program diverse music, right? We can do that. That's something that we can do right now. The, the part for me that's going to need sustained work and sustained for years and years and years to come the rest of my life is diversifying our stages, diversifying our boards, diversifying our staffs, and making sure that what the orchestra looks like reflects the community that we are serving. And right now, it doesn't. Obviously, at Canton, we are an all-white staff and an all-white board. So,
0: And a, not an all-white orchestra, but we have... I believe one full-time orchestra member, like one full member of the orchestra who is African-American. We do have several Asians and Asian-Americans, but in the classical music world, they are not as much of a minority as they are. They're an overrepresented minority in our profession. So we really on on stage, we have a particular problem with lack of representation specifically from the African American and Latino communities.
1: right right. So thinking about keeping up this work and and doing it in, on, uh, in an authentic way so that we have relationship with minority communities in here in Canton. And right now there is not relationship there. It doesn't really exist. So that's something I've been thinking about a lot about how do I sustain this work and how do I do it in a way that is real and authentic?
2: Wow, a uh, whole <laughs> lot there. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, I, I'm really pleased that you guys are where you are. Uh, mm-hmm. You said what I, you answered it the way I was hoping you would answer it that way. Uh, and that's cool. Uh, and I know quite a few of your board members and most of them I think would agree with you, at least the ones that I know. Uh, of course, there's always somebody you got to really, you know, twist their arm to convince them to move into the into the 21st century. Uh, but uh, you face the same thing that not just other symphonies but other entities do. Uh, you, it, it's kind of like the Hall of Fame Village. I know what your your intention is. Your intentions are good. How do you get there? Is the question, and it's not only up to what you guys do, but it is partially that, it's what the minority community, how they respond. Mm-hmm. You know, are there minority uh, kids uh, in, in school who were exposed to classical music? Are they exposed to the symphony? Mm-hmm. You know, now, <clears throat> I don't think much is gonna compete with hip hop and rap right now. <laughs> but uh, a friend of mine was um, conductor of the Youngstown Symphony and he passed away. Mm-hmm. But before he passed away, we were talking about him, because they asked the same questions. Uh, they, they He and I were talking about doing a special, uh, I do television, so I was going to do it on PBS, uh concert with uh, the Youngstown Symphony and Snoop Dogg, <laughs> and call it Rapping with Snoop. There's been other entities like uh, Nas did it with the New York Orchestra. I think mm-hmm. he he did it with somebody, and it was great. Right. I mean, and it, it's it spread like wildfire through the minority community that Nas did this cool concert with this symphony. Mm-hmm. Uh, those kinds of things begin to add up, mm-hmm.
3: uh,
2: at, but it's not going to be something you're going to correct over overnight. Right. Uh, for one thing, like I said, everybody's competing for the same thing. That's why I tell minority audiences sometimes, they're in an ideal position because everybody's looking for minorities, minorities who could who could play an instrument, minorities who could do this, minorities who could do that. So you're not alone, but I really appreciate and compliment your attitudes. And if you keep that attitude, sooner or later, you're gonna be successful.
1: Mm, yeah. This is an example of it. We're trying.
0: (laughs) So I I have a question then to to follow up. So do you think that the minority community, let's say the African-American community, if we program a major work by a female African-American composer, is that going to be something that currently, let's say right now, that the community is going to see advertised and think, wow, that is amazing. I'm going to make sure I'm there for that experience.
2: Well, it's going to depend on who that performer is and also the marketing. Uh, because on the other end of, of everybody's effort, it, you're trying to reach the minority. There's no one way to reach the minority community. Uh, I wish there were years ago I published a newspaper directed toward the minority community and that was one way that um, people businesses especially could could reach the minority community Uh, there's no one radio station there's no one tv station so and then you've got social media and that's broken up into a million other little pieces so it it depends on how you market that particular concert but it, it has potential and, and you can be creative because there's the HBCU Classic coming to town, which are, which are, uh, is a football game between two uh, HBCU teams, historical mm-hmm. black teams, uh, and it's sponsored by the Hall of Fame. And it'll be a big community event. Uh, putting a, a four-piece combo or a, a, what do you call them, a, a chamber music mm-hmm. chamber yeah. ensemble yeah, yeah, yeah. yes yeah 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 a strategically placing one of those someplace uh whether it's uh at because it's not going to just be a football game it's going to be a lot of social events as well mm-hmm. uh placing some something like that strategically uh in all that environment uh, with the thing with the science in canton symphony orchestra you want more information give us a call here, or here's a website. Right. Small things like that, if they're consistent mm-hmm. add up and they don't really cost a lot of money. But a lot of times people who are looking for minority employees don't wanna spend money to try to find them. And then they complain that they can't find any. <laughs> people who, you know, minority employees is not the only area that that happens at. People tend to soft, soft chart or or shortchange marketing dollars anyway, but when it comes to a special project or or some really heavy focus you want to put, uh, especially directed toward the minority community, they really are hesitant to do that, or have been, I should say. Mm
1: -hmm. This kind of leads into the next question about engaging uh, the African-American community in Canton. Uh, What are some of the most meaningful ways that you've been able to do that maybe in your current work with the hall of fame i know that's that's more direct with contractors and, and businesses directly but the community as a whole what do you think has succeeded in in different projects you've done in the past to engage the african-american community and what has not worked at all
2: um what has worked uh, in in previous years but it's not as effective these days uh, is communications through the churches mm. there was more people in canton the churches had more membership, uh, and uh, the pastors had more influence. And that was a good way to reach uh, quite a few uh, Mm -hmm. African-Americans. Several ways you could do that too, uh, but that was one way. Uh, Another way was uh, there used to be uh, a radio station in Cleveland that that, uh, uh, played R&B music. So a lot of African-Americans in Canton listened to that. Uh, And then for years, uh, I I was on a WINW radio uh, as a the first African-American radio station, radio program station. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I evolved to WHBC, and a certain amount of African-Americans followed me on that path as well. So there used to be different ways that you could reach African-Americans. Nowadays, still the churches, but not as effective. There's a uh, Start The Greatest Start County Urban League, which has just rejuvenated itself mm-hmm. with Diane Robinson, the new CEO, she's doing a great job, too. And the NAACP has a new president, uh, Hector uh, McDaniels, uh, and there's different emerging organizations uh, that uh, you can communicate with. Now, the last time the HBCU game came to town two years ago, It wasn't one last year we tried to market on the skinny. The Hall of Fame didn't have much of a budget, so we tried to to, uh, stretch the marketing dollars and we could only barely touch those particular bases. Uh, But there has to be a commitment to advertise, Mm -hmm. meaning money, and then you have to just uh, hit and miss until you find the right combination that works. Because with some events and some people, and some activities, uh, the, the uh, social media may work, YouTube may work, uh, but you've got to be aware of all of the possibilities so that you can then hone in on the several that might work just for you.
3: Right, right.
0: So we talked a lot about some of the projects that you have been involved in. What's an example of a project that maybe you've seen from afar, an, an event a presenting organization something like that where they really nailed it with the engagement of the African American community they really uh, you you mentioned earlier that you, the word you use the special sauce they found the special sauce and it was just a a huge success as far as engaging the African American community and maybe in a way that they knew it was going to be a challenge. They were up to the challenge, and they really succeeded.
2: Uh, well, when I was deputy mayor, we used to do what we called the Mayor's Annual Sportsman's Roast, where we would roast a prominent uh, retired NFL player and bring <laughs> some of his friends in with him. And we did that because we felt we were being ignored by the Hall of Fame. Uh, and they were having a special event on Saturday night, so we had our special event. Mm. And uh, it was a good event too. Uh, That was successful. A lot of the organizations have annual dinners that are successful. The Urban League had one last year, two years ago, where the mayor of Chicago, Mayor Lightfoot, was uh, the speaker. And she's from Massey. Yeah. Uh, uh, Let's see, there's, oh, the uh, Coming Together Start County, which is a cool organization. it's an organization that's probably, I'd say, it's, it could be the conscience of Canton, of because it's I started it maybe 15 years ago, and, and Rabbi Spitzer and I together started. I was a speaker at Temple Israel for their Shabbat ceremony, mm. and I was so mad at something, and I said, you know, too bad Canton doesn't have an organization where we can confront some of these things. And uh, I saw Rabbi Spitzer writing something, and afterwards he came up and he showed me what I said. He said, okay, (laughs) you open your big mouth, now let's do something. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. So, but it's a really a great organization, and they have, usually, they didn't last year, uh, an annual dinner where they select three or four people from the community who've done really cool things. And, And it's not based on race, it's not based on gender. Uh, they just have you know they just do really cool things and then they offer uh, diversity training to uh, nonprofit organizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, they bring in some uh, speakers, uh, a lot of brains in that in that organization. Uh, I like it quite a bit. Uh, yeah. So there's there's different things that that you that, that minority organizations have done. but like I say, things have changed. Mm-hmm. When I first moved to Canton, uh, the big thing for my my age group and older was uh, fashion shows. Canton <laughs> had a vibrant fashion show community. <laughs> you know, people were creating costumes or clothes and, and showing them off at fashion shows and, and going out of town, being asked to come out of town to, to do stuff like that. Uh, that was a popular thing to do back in those days. And, and church socials. But as I said, there aren't that many. There are fewer churches nowadays. And then part of the issue too is is uh, and this has to one day i want to talk to you about this because the effective integration the the better ability for minorities to assimilate uh, in the overall general community because if if you look at the second and fourth wards of canton mm. traditionally this where most of the minority residents yeah. lived and if you wanted to talk to minorities, you go to the second and fourth wards. and But anymore, African Americans live everywhere. There's still a a preponderance in those two wards, but still, you know, African Americans live all over the county now. Mm -hmm. So, geography had a lot to do with that. Mm -hmm. But one reason geography had a lot to do with that was because of integration, which is a good thing overall.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, A little... I think I've spent, I've, I've tried to make a concerted effort to get to know more people in the community and to uh, learn more from people who who are leaders in minority communities in Canton and, and talk to people like you. Um, and I still, th- I see and I hear a lot of stories of of divide, of racial divides still existing in Canton itself and, you know, physical barriers like um, south of 30, it's hard to get access to just, you know, grocery stores. Um, so there's still, you know, physical barriers, uh, that are keeping, um, I think certain people in the, in minority communities from having full access to, uh, their, you know, white or, or other more wealthy counterparts, So what, looking at the city of Canton and an organization like the Canton Symphony, right, like, I always wonder, what can I really do? What can I really do to, to try to make a difference? And, and why would it be important for us to make the symphony welcoming towards minority communities if if they just don't want to be a part of it like you know if they, if they don't or if they have no interest in the symphony why am i why am i doing all this work uh, so i wonder just i'm not quite sure what my question is here i think my question is with so much tangible inequality still in existence why is it important that organizations like the symphony do the work that we're trying to do
2: hmm. that's a good question Uh, You mean other than the fact that it's the right thing to do?
1: Other than the fact that it's the right thing to do, yes. (laughs) Well, you
2: know, uh, looking at it from an economic point of view, uh, there are – the more uh, African-Americans become aware of the symphony and attend the the symphonies, uh, it could have an effect on your bottom line. Also, there are minorities out there who could possibly donate uh, to the symphony, like – you know everybody else mm-hmm. uh, uh, but also from a cultural point of view you know it's good for uh, you know i like all kind of music i have my favorites but uh i like all kind of music and and i i like country and western music because i was exposed to it
3: mm. uh
2: and when i hear uh, hank williams and, yeah. and you know I'm, i sing along with yeah. him <laughs> because i've always done that yeah. Uh, but also like uh, R&B and, and hip hop and rap too, because I've been exposed to it. You know, I think the key, one of the keys is to expose uh, minority students as early as possible right. to uh, uh, to the symphony, mm-hmm. to the instruments, to the possible careers, mm-hmm. you know, and I think Betty Smith at Enrichment yeah. uh, mm-hmm. it would be a, is a great example. Yeah, of, I would I would pour more resources into what she's doing.
1: I was hanging out with her last Saturday at Enrichment for I think I was there for seven hours just hanging out and watching all the, they're they're there all day Saturday doing stuff. It was. Uh, it was a, it was a wonderful time and the work that she's doing and, you know, I'm trying to see how we can uh, work with her more and me, myself yeah. personally, I'm just going to go and hang out because the students were amazing, but yeah, Good. she's doing some, some wonderful, wonderful things. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I know. So.
0: She is. So in a, in a general, this is a very general question now, um, <laughs> the past year has seen so much turmoil here in, in the country, the world at large, but especially in the country, not only with the coronavirus pandemic, but all of the murders of unarmed black people at the hands of law enforcement. How are you doing amidst all of this, both as a person, as a community leader, and even in your current role consulting with the Hall of Fame Village?
2: Well, I um first, especially after the George Floyd incident, I was pissed. I mean, I was really pissed. Uh, I had a couple of my white friends call me and say, you know, I want to apologize for so-and-so. I didn't know. I said, I don't want to hear it. Not from you, not from anybody. I'm just tired. Mm -hmm. You know, just stay the heck away from me. Uh, Let me, you know, let me work through this myself. And I was that way for quite a while. You know, sometimes I'll get like that and it'll pass the next day or so. But I couldn't shake that. It, it just pissed me off. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in Georgia and uh, used to go down there every summer to visit my grandparents. And every time uh, I was faced with a situation like that, um, not only did it make me mad, but if I had the means, I would end up doing something I shouldn't do. And so I've got to always watch that. I get so mad. That, you know, remember that line I told you, sometimes I have a tendency to cross. (laughs) So those types of things make me want to cross that line. But then I started processing it I tried to turn it into a, into a good point of view. And I gradually got to the point where at least I could talk to some of my white friends and without calling them a bunch of MFs and whatnot. (laughs) Uh, and, And we talked about this and I explained how I felt. I even wrote a column about it in the repository. Mm -hmm. And what was cool was my daughter wrote a column about my column. And uh, Mm -hmm. the repository published that as well, because her generation was even more upset than I was. Now, looking at it, uh, I understand how bad it was, but it also presented some opportunities because it brought a lot of people's psyche to the point where they, they've been saying, well, you know, we've been hearing all these colored people all these years talk about these issues with police. Now we've got a great example, we see it for ourselves, and we got a lot of white people talking about it. So more and more white people begin to uh, grasp that and understand what, it, what black people over the years have been saying, and nobody's been listening. Or at least not enough people has been listening, and so people in in administ- in cities, people in in the state governments began to to look at themselves and to see how what they were doing to to alleviate the problem, but also to to help solve the problem. And what what else could they do? And that has really had a positive effect here in Canton. Uh, there's a group called. Uh, moving Canton forward. And it was started by a guy I didn't, I didn't never met, uh, Jerry Schroyer. And he owns uh, the Schroyer Group, which has uh, something like 10,000 nursing homes Mm -hmm. or something, a good guy. And so he, he felt as I did as a white businessman. So he called another 25, 30 other CEO friends of his from Altman, from Mercy, from Timken, people that he hangs out with, people that he golfs with. And they all came together, and they invited some blacks. So they all sat around and said, you know, we need to do something. What is it can we do? And they were really genuinely interested in doing something positive. So Jerry calls me, tells me who he is, what he wants to do, I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard it before, Jerry. You're just some white guy who's trying to feel good about this situation. You know, I'm not coming to any other meetings where it's the only white boys sitting around a, 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 a desk, a boardroom desk, talking about how good they feel <coughs> about helping those poor colored folks. And that's it. Mm. You don't do anything else. You, you, you might feel good because you think you've done something, but I'm not going to do that. So Jerry told me that he wasn't going to do that. I said, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Well, call me when you can prove something to me. So then a couple of my black friends called me who knows Jerry and they they vouched for Jerry. So me and Jerry started communicating. I'm now on his board for this uh, organization. And I'd be doggone if Jerry ain't doing some really cool stuff. And not just Jerry, but the other CEOs that he's working with. and, and and I told him early on, I said, you know, if when I see you come out of your pocket with some money, then I'll really believe you.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And they have uh, started a fundraising drive to bring more money to the Minority Business Association. And some of it's their personal money. So I told him the other night, I said, you know, I have no doubts, Jerry, you're trying to do the right thing. If whatever I can do to help you do the right thing, I will do because I believe you now. I trust you now, you know,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and I do, I do. Mm-hmm. So, but it's examples like that of what's happening here in Stark County. Right. You know, a Strengthening Stark uh, uh, run by uh, Ray Heximer.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, Ray is the perfect person for that position. And I've seen him work so hard to try to bring minority businesses into the fold.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, it, it's so small victories like that that are adding up to actually change the whole atmosphere of Canton and Stark County, and I'm not the only one seeing it. Now it's almost it's almost like a spiritual awakening mm. because people that that uh, that and and and, pr- and a lot of it is because of George Floyd, you know, and the anger that it generated, but also the knowledge that it that it showed, you know, the reality that it showed. Mm-hmm. So once again, what we have to do as a community is to take the resources, which are the attitudes of good people like you guys, like you two, and try to help you manifest that in a lot of ways that not just bring bring uh, support and encouragement to the community, but kind of feels good yourself as a person mm-hmm. to do some really cool things for people like that. Right. So, but there's a lot of good stuff happening in Canton.
1: Yeah. and I it's it's very encouraging to hear you say that because I think and Matthew can attest to this. I can get a little jaded and a little I get mad too and I I just I, I assume that everything's terrible and nothing will ever be fixed and I get into these these moments of just the world is terrible and no one cares <laughs> and um, I have these moments so it's very encouraging to hear you say that that CEOs, you know, especially white male CEOs are actually caring and trying to do something. And I, I think that it really encourages me and makes me, um, it, it just gives me a little bit more um, confidence in what we're trying to do. And um, I you know, I, I mentioned before, I'm the manager of education and community engagement. So I have felt, um, I've had a few weeks, especially here in 2021, where I have felt a lot of just like pressure on my shoulders to suddenly manifest relationships and programs <laughs> and all of these things that will put the band-aid and fix the situation and make everything better and I just wow and I, I, I have moments of just deep freak out um, and <laughs> but I, it's it's very encouraging to hear this and you know we have, concerts that are free for students and uh, you know school systems come and even this year when we were virtual we were able to produce um, videos that we sent out to schools and we were able to reach more students than normal because it was virtual and um doing things uh, you know highlighting people like betty smith in the community who are doing these wonderful after-school programs but you know at this as the symphony as a whole you know as someone from the outside looking at us as a, as the organization, first off, kind of what is your perspective of us as the Canton Symphony, as just an individual looking from the outside? And then we've talked about some steps to take, but what do you think are some concrete steps that we could take to be a more authentic member of the Canton community, like what these CEOs are trying to do?
2: Um. Well, I think that, you know, you are a symphony, and and as such, you are uh, painted by the same brush that all symphonies are painted. Uh, You know, you're a highbrow, um, mostly white uh, organization, and you play chamber music, and music that I never heard of. (laughs) That's, you know, and and the only way to, I, well, not the only, uh, one of the ways to, to break that mold is to prove that you're not, mm-hmm. and to continue to to do outreach, because the more people see you reach out to them, the more they'll be rel- uh, less reluctant to be reached out to.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, somebody who that's somebody who wants me. They want me in their seats. They want me to learn their music. So maybe I'll take a listen at it. You know, they. But but stuff like that, though, uh, Rachel, as you know, doesn't happen every every overnight. Right. You know, it's a, it's a tough task, but I will say this, and, and I seldom give advice, uh, but I'm gonna give you a piece of advice that when you get so down like that, <laughs> shake it off. Right. <laughs> for, for a couple of reasons. First, we need you in the game. <laughs> we yeah. need you in the game, uh, but that's also normal. You know, there's a lot of other people that that uh, I've told, you know, shake it off. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I understand what you're dealing with, and go ahead and feel sorry for yourself for a minute, <laughs> but shake it
0: off.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I have a a question that to follow up with something when you were describing from where you come from. This is how you see the symphony, uh, and you you said something that I think is a has been. It's an issue that is a wider than just trying to attract minority communities and it's that we play music that you've never heard of and something we've talked about a lot people love what they know what do you think we can do about trying to invite people to try something new try something that they don't know that they haven't heard of and this this is both within the African-American community and Canton at large or the yeah. any <laughs> symphony orchestra audience yeah, at large. Young people. And this is important <laughs> because we here at the Canton Symphony, we are making a concerted effort going forward to program works of women and African-American composers and Latino composers. And this is going to be music that people don't know. So we have to figure out a way that that this is not only going to be okay with people, but that they're going to come to embrace it. What do you think about If you have any thoughts at all about that, what do you think about that?
2: Uh, Well, I I think that the more you can um, integrate your performances with a a person from that culture, Mm. that community, if it's – if you're – you know whether it's Italian or Greek or African American or whatever mm-hmm. uh, that would be good and and I still say taking a small group out into the community
3: yeah
2: and and let them perform and let let the host know who you are and announce who you are and, and why you're there uh, and continue to do traditional marketing uh, if i were doing a you know this was women's month march is women's month uh, and if I were doing a concert on Women's Month, I'd hook up with all the women's organizations and 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 whatnot, and I'd make a big deal out of it. And and there's also two uh, two media sources in the Akron area that come down here that folks in Canton read: It's the Akron Reporter newspaper, which is a weekly newspaper, uh, and then there's uh, the Black Pages magazine, which is a quarterly magazine. But folks. Uh, more and more folks in Canton are reading those publications to find out what's actually happening here in Canton. So, so Matthew is just, you know, I start with your attitude, which I've been complimenting. All this performance, keep that attitude and keep doing what you're doing. Just do more of it.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> so another question to follow up with what we were talking about just before. Throughout history, there are so many examples of really well-intentioned people who are doing the right thing in, in every way, at least on paper. It's all going well. And then somehow the energy of the moment can't carry things through to truly generational Change And it goes back to what Rachel said about one of our guests from last season, Eric Gould, who is a composer and mentioned he had the same, he was having the same conversation in the Mm eighties as he was having with us. Another example, I I don't know if you're familiar with the musical Ragtime, Mm -hmm. wonderful Broadway musical that uh, we just performed virtually with our youth orchestra back in December. And the story takes place in the 19-teens. The novel that the musical was written on was written in the 1970s. The musical came out in the late 1990s. And we performed it in 2020. And it feels far too relevant today. Mm -hmm. And the fact that The fact that it feels as relevant as it does to me is is proof that people have wanted this change for so long, and there have been so many efforts towards it, but that the momentum has not been able to sustain itself across the finish line. Somewhere in this, the momentum lags, the moment is lost, and we can't really push through to, to long-lasting, permanent, meaningful change. Is yeah. this moment different, and what can we do to ensure yeah. that we don't make the same mistake this time?
2: boy right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> So many easy questions today. So many easy questions.
2: <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice, though, that if that wasn't an issue, that you could put something in motion like a perpetual motion machine that would do what you needed it to do. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Yeah, but, you know, life isn't made up that way. And and what we have to do is what we're doing now. Uh, We have to figure a way around it because we can't let it overcome us. You know, if we're going to be successful, we got to be very proactive and continue to do and uh, recognize resources when when you see it uh, get those resources on your side and you get on their side. And as we go forward, we accumulate more and more people, more and more people with good attitudes. Uh, they want to do the things that we want them to do. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, not an easy task, nor is it an overnight success task. Mm-hmm. We just got a tough job in front of us. Yeah. Tough job.
1: Well, I, I want to thank you again so much for speaking with us today and, and kind of, it's been such a wonderful conversation. So to finish us out, we, you know, the question we ask everyone is how do we orchestrate change? What do we actually do? And I, I know we've said a lot of things that during this podcast, but do you have any last thoughts for us about that very question, either in regards to the symphony or just start county in general, or, you know, even just America at large?
2: Yeah. Just what I just said. Uh, You're good people. You're doing good things. Just do more of it. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. And and you're not alone. You're not alone. You know, and also call me if you ever need me. I don't know (laughs) what I could do to help you, but let me know.
1: I'm sure we will. I am sure we will be calling you. For sure. 100%. Oh my goodness.
0: (laughs)
2: It's been fun, guys.
1: Thank you.
0: Ron Ponder, we so appreciate you being with us this afternoon. Ron Ponder, Canton community organizer, former deputy mayor here, former host of the talk show Points to Ponder, and a current consultant with the Pro Football Hall of Fame and Village development currently being built just next door to the Zimmerman Symphony Center.
1: Orchestrating Change is a production of the Canton Symphony Orchestra.
0: Our theme music was composed by Eric Gould and performed by Derek Snyder and Tim Adams.
1: Our audio engineer is Nathan Maslick.
0: Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.